Lord, we just thank you for this night. I pray you bless your people, God. They are climbing that tree like Zacchaeus, saying, I need that touch from heaven, God. The blood is flowing like that woman, and they need the power of the Holy Spirit. Even like blind Bartimaeus saying, Son of David. God, I pray tonight that you anoint, you speak, you lift, you encourage, you challenge, God. You even convict. You are faithful, you are holy, you are righteous. And God, most importantly, that they would hear this. You are present in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray and say, Amen. Amen. Awesome, you guys. How we doing? I was passed out this morning, dead off the flight, but after hanging out with Pastor and Pastor's son, eating plenty of fish and chips, amen, amen. getting a nap in the hotel, I'm wide awake, so I want to jump right into this, but the Bible says give honor where honor's due, so I want to honor the house and the pastors and the ministry and the prayers and the faith, but most importantly, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Thank you, God, for marriage. And as I thought about this and said, hey, some things moved around. What do you want to do on this night? How can you possibly have two sessions on marriage? I mean, how can we spend this much time unpacking marriage? Maybe some of you are new and say, is there that much about marriage in the Bible? But if I was to ask you, what is the story of the Bible? What would you say? Is it the cross? Is it the blood? The Holy Spirit? It's love? It's grace? It's mercy? It's all these things. But if you read through that Bible over and over and over, eventually you're going to see the Bible is a story of what? Marriage. Love and marriage. It begins in Genesis with a marriage. It ends in Revelation with a marriage. It's a story of a king called Jesus who came to slay a serpent called Satan to redeem his bride, you and me, the church. Amen? Wherever your marriage is, whatever is going on, it's the story of marriage. And some of you caught all that, but some of you are still trapped in the thought, man, this guy sounds funny. Man, this guy is speaking weird. Man, this guy is speaking with a what? Am I speaking with an accent? Yes or no? You are a bunch of Americans trying to speak what language? English. I am not the one with the accent. The Bible says the truth will set you free. But please don't end up speaking like this and don't try and stand up and interpret because I am not speaking in tongues. Amen? <laughs> My story, though, to encourage you, if your marriage is upside down, just listen to the testimony part because God has done a mighty work in our life and it begins in a place called Liverpool, England. You heard of that place? Home of the what? Beatles. Beatles. My mom used to go see the Beatles play at the cavern. My dad would friends or some of the guys back then that are no longer in the band, but for me... I grew up having no idea about marriage. I would have been sitting in this place saying, what is this guy talking about? Why do I need to hear from some ancient book all about marriage? Growing up in Liverpool, England, my life was about me. I had no clue about God. My wife at the time was raised in Huntington Beach, California. She had no idea about God. She had no idea about marriage. But my whole story begins with this idea where at 13 years of age, this will age me, we watched a movie called Police Academy 4. Remember that film? In that film, what did they have? Skateboarding. I watched that film, seen skateboarding, came on vacation to New Jersey. Anyone from Jersey? I fell in love with America when I landed in New Jersey in Asbury Park, got my first skateboard, fell in love with it, and that to me became my world. I say this because I had no clue about anything, and the first thing that mattered to me was skateboarding. I get sponsored at 15, make it to California, sponsored by Tony Hawk. You finish school at 15 in England. Amen? Now you're making some money. You're making a couple of hundred dollars a month, a couple of thousand dollars a month, sometimes 10 or 20 or 30,000 dollars a month at 18, 19, because skating is blowing up. Why am I saying that? 
Because I didn't think I needed God. I didn't need God in the flesh. I was gaining the whole will, but losing my what? Soul. But finally at 19, my life would change when I finally fell in love with who? Not Jesus, not God. A girl from California who spoke with an accent, drove on the wrong side of the road, and dared to call football soccer. How crazy is that? I mean, it's a ball that you kick with your what? Foot? It's not handball, amen? And no no one only digs at me. But I grew up without God, having no clue about life. And I met this woman at 19, and she actually lived in Princeton at the time, but she's from California. And listen, my life was great. There was money in the bank. I was in the magazines. Life was all about me. And me and this girl had been together for four months, nonstop, every day. And we loved each other like crazy. What I mean by that is I loved the way she looked, the way she made me feel, all the things she did for me. So who was I really loving? Myself. I didn't know what God's love was. And I was about to go back to England. There's money in the bank, and I'm in the magazines. And it wasn't all about me in that sense, but I was like, life's great. I went to the pier with the girl that day. Her family's Italian, Mexican. My family's English, Irish. So we got enough rowdiness in there somewhere. Amen. I'm like, if we tell our parents we're getting married after four months, they're going to fly over here and put us in check. We drove out to Vegas telling no one. We got married. We got pregnant. We were on top of the world. And can someone just say reality? Reality kicked in. Listen, guys. I tried to do everything right. I had no clue about God. I would have walked out of here saying, what is this funny sounding English guy even saying? But I truly love this woman. I tried to do it my way, and I had no clue. And so now we're a year or two into our marriage, and we're beginning to fight. Maybe you're not the right person. Maybe that girl that got away is the right person. Maybe that guy that you used to date is the right person. We began to say all the things we shouldn't say, swearing at each other, getting mad at each other, banging things, and before long, we're divorced. I was on top of the world, living in America, having no clue about life. And if you don't know a lot about your faith and you've been dragged here today, maybe you're a believer, I began to challenge God. And I remember looking up saying, God, I'm going to prove that you're not real. If I can prove that you're not real, then my marriage doesn't matter. If I can prove there's no God and that we just evolved, I'm no different than the possum you might run over on the way home or the coyote that's been hit last night. If there's no God, then nothing really matters. Why? Because I was angry. I was depressed. Some of you feel like that in marriage at time. You're separated. And I was like, God, if I can prove there's no God, then it doesn't matter if I take my own life. That's the guy that was standing before you. You know what happened? I opened this book, the Bible, amen, to Genesis 1, and 27. You know what it says? Let us make man in our what? Image. I didn't know whose image I was made. The cat or the dog isn't made in God's image. You're saying, I'm made in your image. Yeah, well, God, if I'm made in your image... Why does my life suck? Why am I fighting with this woman? Why am I divorced? Why is everything crazy? Anyone hear what I'm saying? Reality kicked in. And God says to us, let me read in Genesis, Brian, the reason your life is like this is because I put your great, 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 great grandparents in the garden. And I said, you can enjoy all of this, but there's just one thing I don't want you to do. Please don't go and play over there with that tree. Amen. And what did we all do? We ran over to the tree and took selfies with it and painted pictures of it. And we were obsessed with the tree because God said, don't do that. And as much as I want to confront Adam and Eve in heaven, if that's where they are, that's what you and I are like. But what did God do? God began to speak. I didn't want to live. I was angry. I was still on top of the world. And God began to unpack his love story, the story of marriage. How? He began to speak to Abraham. 
Through you, I will bless the whole world. How? Because the Messiah is going to come one day. Amen. He began to speak to Moses. And what does he say in Moses in Exodus? He says, all the Ten Commandments, he laid them down. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Anyone ever told a lie? Not raising your hand right now? What are you doing? We're lying. And in church, forgive us, Lord. I'd never heard this stuff. God, are you saying that because they sinned in the garden, that in the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die? Yes. God didn't kill anyone. God told Brian, you're going to make a choice, and the choice that you make is going to bring death into your life, spiritually, separated from God, and physically, you're going to drop dead one day. And that's every person. 100% of every person is going to die. Even Enoch and Elijah, who were raptured out of here, are still going to die one day. Amen? I'd never heard this. I was still on top of the world. I cared about my marriage, and now I'm divorced for about a year. I was getting into all kinds of trouble, and I'm trying to disprove this Bible because I don't want to live anymore. Finally, and think about this, guys. I've got to be about 215 right now, and you might not have this term out here. You know what a vegan is out here? Pray for my wife. Amen. She's a vegan. My wife eats perfect, healthy, and she's going to get, get it going with me soon. I need to jump it back in there, get, the, get rid of the dad bod. But picture being... Picture being a vegan and reading the Old Testament. Can you imagine reading about animals when you're all about save the whales and save the animals? And every year God says, guys, because of your sin, what I want you to do is take the innocent little lamb and shred it to pieces. I want you to lay your hands on the goat and put it outside the city. In fact, you know what? When the death angel comes down, smear the blood of that goat all over the doorpost and you guys are going to be fine. It sounds barbaric, right? I'm reading all of this thinking this book is crazy. And you get to the New Testament and who shows up? John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the what? Sins of the world. Wait, God, are you saying that of these 66 books, you're telling this book-toothed English guy who thinks he has it all figured out that this story of marriage was of you sending your son to die for the sins of the world? Amen. Where did Jesus die? outside the city, like the scapegoat. Are you saying when we're covered in the blood that all our sins are forgiven? Yes. I'd never heard this, and I still didn't know Jesus. We were still fighting like crazy. I'd been going to a, a Christian community service store because I'd gotten into too much trouble, and skating, you get all these tickets. And here's what happened. I'd been trying to disprove God for seven months. I was divorced from this woman now. I was angry and hurt. I was in a lot of trouble. I was about to go back to England. And I'd gone to a church that night and heard the pastor preach out of Galatians 5. And I came home to the house I'd bought, my first home. I'd invited my ex-wife to live with me. I said, babe, let's just be together until my son is five. Because at least he'll know that I love him. I can tell him. I can affirm him. And if life's crazy, I'm out of here. How crazy is that? That's the guy standing before you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what he did. Amen. And as I came home that night, I got in a huge fight with my ex-wife. She went to bed, my son next to her, and I got down on the floor in the office of my house today, and I said, God, I'm done. I'm done with this. I've been reading this book. I remember saying, you know, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just so God knew who I was talking to. Amen? I was really saying to God, I can't do this. My marriage is destroying me. I wish I could have this all figured out, and maybe that's where you are. As I got down on my face, here's the reality. And you've got to hear this. I was going to God for all my reasons, but God was coming to me for what reason? Because of the issue of sin. He was coming to me because of the issue of my marriage with Him, and I'd never really understood it. 
I didn't know what repentance was. I didn't know what forgiveness was. I was reading all these things, but I wasn't putting it together. And on my face, I said, God, I'm done. I can't follow a church and a pastor and some book and some preacher. You claim that when I repent and turn to you, you claim scientifically that when my eyes are open and I confess my sin, you show up and forgive and dwell inside of me. You guys know what I'm talking about? That moment on my face, 12 at night. Listen, guys, some of you know about Jesus, but some of you know him. Amen? We're a breath away from heaven or hell. Do you know him leaving this place today? Do you know Jesus? Because I knew all about him. I could have preached about him. I loved reading it. wanted to disprove it. But I didn't know him. And that day on my face in 2004, I said, God, I'll move down my life. Here's my skating. Do what you want. I'll get baptized. And if you want, this is a, this is a scary, powerful prayer. I will remarry that woman. Amen? <laughs> Not because she's crazy, because we're both crazy. Here's what happened. Just like you're sitting there. It was like the presence of God in that instant. When you got saved, you know that you know that you know. Amen? It was like God entered that room. I'm on my face. And he just got a hold of me. And this guy with this Bruce Lee mindset and Eastern philosophy and all the rest, in one instant, gone. And I'm laughing and crying and weeping, saying, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe I didn't hear this on 24. I can't believe my marriage been all about me. I can't believe I have no clue. And here's the crazy thing. In three weeks' time, my ex-wife came to faith. Amen. I don't know if anyone's on the board back there, if you have an image maybe to put up. But in three months' time, we were remarried. And my, I was just getting texts from her a minute ago telling me she loves me and to pray for me while I'm here. Amen. This is a few years old. I mean, you can kind of tell looking at my body. Amen. <laughs> Listen, that little boy on the right, that's Dakota. When you go to a high school and tell all these students who aren't listening to this story, and then you have him walk up here with me, and then you realize this little girl in the front, Eden Avery Sumner, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Jesus. Amen. And this crazy little guy, if you ever see him just run, he's a maniac. Jude Micah Sumner, amen? They only exist because of marriage and the work of God and what God did. Can we just give it up for the Lord getting into this? <laughs> Guys, wherever you are, the most important thing is your marriage with Jesus. It begins there. But to digress from there, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we just come to faith and life's so easy? I mean, why didn't God just take us out of here? I hear people struggling with marriage and wrestling with their marriage. I have no clue what people mean when they talk about that. The second we came to faith, my marriage has been perfect. Amen? The kids never act crazy. The bills don't show up. There's a tree in our garden where money comes off all the time. And marriage is so, so simple. There's a reason why God had me write a marriage book. Amen? We wrote the book on how not to be married. And we had to dig into this book. And I'm saying that for this reason. What was crazy for us is once we came to faith, once we were remarried, our story got out there a bit because of skateboarding and I went out with process of telling people. And I was amazed how right away people would say, well, can we come have coffee with you or can we sit with you? And this same conversation came up over and over and over. We were raised in the church. We believed the Bible. My dad's a pastor. Grandpa's a pastor. Here's his Bible right here. We were married maybe as teenagers, and and we tried to do it all the right way, but we think that God has missed it. What would you say to someone that said that to you? I would say, can you open up the Bible and show me where God has missed putting you together? I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you have it all figured out. We definitely are not. Amen? But my point was, when you think about what Jesus' words are, first thing I want you to get today is Jesus said, my sheep hear my what? 
Do you hear his voice? But what did he say after that? And they what? Follow me. It's not just hearing his voice. It's am I willing to follow him? It's one thing to say, God has restored my marriage. Let's go home. God is good. But the point is, am I going to fight for a godly marriage? And friends, it is hard. Amen? People in England like to fight. And you guys, East Coasters, we like to fight. We deal with the cold and the fun outside and we're rough and tough. But we've got to be able to fight for our marriage. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And Jesus says this over and over. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by the word of who? God, the Word is a lamp unto our feet. So sitting with those couples, as they will be willing to walk away, you might be there tonight saying, I am done, and you know what? You are done. Your flesh is done. It isn't the way you want it to be. Remember, sitting with those couples, and where did we go? Every time I went to this verse. Who God brings together, let no man what? Oh, we know that verse, Pastor. But what about this verse here in Matthew 19.6? Who God brings together, let no man what? Separate. Well, no, what about this verse? Who God brings together, let no man separate. Why am I saying this? Because so many people were thinking about divorce. And why? Because marriage is hard. I'm just going to say it so you understand it. Marriage is hard. We wrote the book and it's called Never Fails, but I was going to call it Death by Marriage. And we all laugh. Amen? (laughs) My wife says, you're crazy. I say, well, you're the crazy one. You married me twice. The best bit of advice I heard in a one-liner was, would you marry yourself? And some of you need to write that down and put it on your fridge, because if you would marry yourself, you've got more, more issues than you think. Amen? I'm saying that because we come into this world, and we have this Disney idea. My life's going to be like this. My wife's going to be like this. Our bank account's going to be like this. Our you-know-what life is going to be about this. I'm saying it because of some of the youth in here. This is how my life's going to be, but the Bible teaches not to lean on our own what? understanding. All of us have an idea of how our marriage should be. Brian brought it into the marriage. Tracy brought it into the marriage. As Christian as you are, you brought it into the marriage. Listen, they asked Billy Graham's wife, do you ever think about divorcing Billy? And you know what she said? She said, no, but I think about killing him every day. That's Billy Graham's wife. I mean, probably one of the holiest mans you've seen this century. Amen? But the reality is, We project these ideas, and we should. We should have this idea of what God speaks about in His Word. And guys, to help us get this, when you read the Old Testament, do you realize how much Israel had to go through because they didn't listen to the Lord? Amen? They didn't need 400 years of exile. They didn't need 70 years of exile in Babylon. They could have just trusted the Lord, and I know it's hard, but what I'm saying is, listen guys, this book is alive. Amen? But if I don't listen to it and put it into practice... It may as well not be. It's one thing to say I'm a Christian. It's another thing, as I said, to say, Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. And just alone, if you say, who God brings together, let no man separate, that alone will change your marriage. Don't use the divorce word. Don't think about going there. Stay focused. And why? Because there's two kinds of marriage. You can define it like this. And even if we understand the best and greatest godly way, we still kind of operate in the weaker way. There's contractual marriage and there's covenantal marriage. Contract says, you fix my garage, I'm going to pay you. You fix the fence, I'm going to pay you. You rebuild the stage, I'm going to pay you. You do your part, I'll do mine. If you're nice, I'll be nice. But if you're bitter, I think I'm going to get bitter. If you're unloving, I'm going to get unloving. You know what, if you start to sin, I don't mean to, but eventually, I'm going to sin. That's what a contract is like. That's the kind of marriage my wife and I had. And listen, guys, we're human. 
Paul writes about it in Romans. The things I will to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. You came to a marriage with all these great ideas, and now you've got bills and kids and struggle, and our hair's falling out, and we're getting one packs, and we're saying, this isn't what I pictured. And God's like, yeah, you're living in a cursed world. Amen? The story of the Bible is pick up your cross and follow me. Less of me, more of him. I must decrease so he can... So when you're single and you're walking around with all your sinful thoughts, you're not affecting no one. You've got your own little wrestle with God. Now God puts you and your spouse together and you're like, oh, you're going to put two people together that God is shaping into the image of Christ and we're ready to flee rather than say, no God, you are helping me die to self through this person. When you have that understanding, and listen, we love Romans 8, amen? All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, amen? But you know, 10 verses earlier, what is going on? 10 verses earlier, Paul is in prison. And he says, I don't consider these sufferings to be worthy of the glory that will be revealed. He's in prison. And he's bummed out. He should be, and he's not. He says, it's all going to be good. Why? Verse 29. Because we're being conformed in whose image? If I didn't get remarried, I might never be made into his image. Sure, God's sovereign. He would do it. But this is the way he begins to work. So when you're operating contractually, it's not going to be good. What's the way you want to operate? Under the covenant. Covenant says, regardless what Tracy does, I'm going to love you anyway. Regardless what Brian does, I'm going to love you anyway. Why? Because covenant says, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I never wanted to get divorced. I never planned on that. But living contractually, even when I know it should be covenant, my flesh wants to take account. It wants to store them in the bank. It wants to gauge where my wife is. And I'm the head, you know. And you're meant to follow, you know. And it should be like this. It should be like that. And I'm going contractual. And God says no. And here's why. We live in a culture, and you probably know this if you've been around church for more than a few years. We use this word love for everything. Amen. I love the fish and chips today. I love that these guys picked me up. I love getting to know new people. Amen. I love hanging out with you. But I also love my wife. And I love my kids. And I love chocolate. And I love God. Can I really assign the word love to God and chocolate? I mean, really? We have one word for love in this culture, but in the Greek, we don't. We have four words. We have all these different words that have different meanings. And what is the kind of love that God wants us to walk in? You know this. The agape love. This is what Paul writes to the church over and over and over. Self-sacrificing. Giving of yourself. Laying down your life. Guys, am I preaching anything new to you? No. We know this, but sometimes you just need some funny sounding English guy to lay it down and say, you know what? I agree with this. The Spirit of God's in me. We know this because when we read verses like Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrates His own agape love for us that while you and I were still sinners... Christ died for us. John 13, 34, guys, a new command I give to you. What is it? Amen. Love one another as I have loved you. I didn't love my Tracy this way. I loved her unconditionally as long as she kept my what? Conditions. It's not God's love. I'm not saying you're going to get it right every time. If I love her Brian's way, it's not good. What I'm saying is this is what we need to understand. We need to know what covenant truly is. And you might be saying, well, Brian, I feel like a doormat sometimes. I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm getting nothing back. You'll feel like that if you view your marriage as only about you. I'm not saying be abused. I'm not saying be physical. You need to sometimes get out of there and get some help. 
Amen. But what I'm saying is, we need to be able to sit and understand, and that's only in the Greek. How many of you guys ever read Song of Songs? When we say Holy of Holies, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Song of Songs is the deepest place we can go to talk about romance and this poetry and this play. And there's this amazing word in here I'm going to unpack for a second. And listen, I preach in a way where I want you to read these verses and for the rest of your life you see that verse and you just hear what God is saying. Amen? We can get funny and have excitement and all that stuff and sometimes that's relevant. But I want you to go out of here saying, what is God saying to me? Song of Songs is the story of this young maiden who has these feelings for a guy. And she says things that she probably shouldn't be saying, amen? Let him kiss me on the lips. Let him do this and do that. And all the time, God sends people, do not arouse or awaken love until what? It so desires. When you understand that word, the ahava in the Hebrew, what God is saying is the romance, the feelings, the emotion. Don't take that love And put it on that spouse unless it's eternal. Don't put that love on Tracy unless the way Christ died for the church. Every day God looks at you and me and He says, I've purchased them. Think about Adam in the garden. God showed up and Adam said it was the woman Adam fled. Jesus seen the woman you and I did in sin. He said, I'm going to go pay the price. Amen. The Bible says Jesus' blood speaks a better word than whose? Abel's. He's crying out. Guilty, murder, Jesus showed up and got in our way and died on the cross and he shouts forgiveness. When I wake up every day, no matter how my wife is acting, and this is hard to do, no matter how I'm acting, I get back from this trip, maybe I'm drained, maybe I'm sick, how am I acting? I've got to take my love every day and place that love upon her. And it's the same idea in the old as the same as the new. The ahava, the agape, I look at Tracy and I say, God, you've called me to love this woman. You're pouring grace and mercy out on me, freely I've received. I've got imparted to this woman. She's acting this way. He's thinking this way. This is what we're going to do. But what do we start with saying? Contractual or covenantal? Because listen to me. Some of you are sitting here and you honestly think, if my spouse just acted the way they did five years ago, or two years ago, or ten years ago, my life will be so different. If they were more like the one that got away, if they were more like this, if they read as much as I do, or maybe sing as much as I do, or attend church as much as I do, and those are relevant, we should be doing those things, amen? Hebrews said, don't forsake gathering together, but you're saying, if they would just do these things, then I would be more loving. Is that contractual or covenantal? Contractual. And we agree, and it's right. It's right if there's no grace and mercy. But so much of our marriage is wrapped in ourselves that we don't even see. And as I started speaking today, what did Jesus say? He said, who God brings together, let no man separate. And where did he say that? He said it in Matthew 19. I want to unpack it. If you have your Bibles, or maybe it will be on the screen. But in Matthew 19, and we pick on the Pharisees and the scribes all the time, amen? But guys, they ask some amazing questions. This verse unpacks crazy stuff. Matthew 19 and 3. It says, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? How she looks, how she might think, what she might do, who her friends are, what the in-laws say, sometimes called the outlaws, amen? Is it okay for you to divorce her for any reason? And I love what Jesus says in verse 4. First thing he says, haven't you read? 
Have you gone to the Scriptures? Are you hearing my voice? Are you following them? They were looking for the greener grass, haven't you read? That at the beginning, and that's important, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Tracy took my surname. There's the shedding of blood when two virgins are first together. There's the wearing of the ring signifying eternity. And he tells them this. And he says, there's no longer two but one. Therefore, seeing as how you're asking me, who God has brought together, let no man separate. Watch what they say next. It's an amazing question. It reveals the condition of our heart in verse 7. Why then, they asked. Why then, Jesus, did Moses command that a man will give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her a way. Notice he didn't say why did God permit it? He said why did Moses? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted such for you to divorce your wife because your hearts were what? Hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces wife except for sexual immorality and marriage with a woman commits adultery. God's not saying he hates the divorced. He's saying he hates divorce. Amen? But Jesus is saying, guys, This was never God's intention. God never wanted anyone to go through this. Moses allowed it because your hearts were what? Are all of our issues because our hearts are hard? Yes or no? We're seeking our own, our own pride, our own ways, going our own ways, not seeking the eyes of the Lord who reigns throughout the whole earth. But when I came to faith, the Bible says all things pass away, all things become what? Because if I'm really a Christian and we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, where is He leading us? If my heart is hard towards my wife, it's not going to be good. Because in the book of Ezekiel, we're told in 36.26, Brian, church, when you're forgiven in Christ, I will give you a new heart and put on you a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of what? Flesh. What you're saying is when you're getting into it with your wife, there's a hardness of heart. When you're unwilling to budge, there's a hardness of heart. One of my life verses, Romans 8.14 As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Whatever the conflict is, my wife and I are not being covenantal. We're not depending on the Scriptures. And you know all this, amen? We're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Why this is crazy is because he says the only way you can actually be divorced is because of infidelity. Even that book out there that we wrote, do you know why we wrote it? Because we were going through so much. My friends around us were going through literally hell. They'd fell into all kinds of sin. And we got a phone call. My husband just left for work. He came home. I was hanging out with his friends. He went upstairs to get his gun. It was about to be crazy. He took off all the rest of it. Can you come meet us at Starbucks right now? Sounds like a good day, amen? Rather be eating fish and chips with you guys. I show up to Starbucks to my six foot four friend, head to toe tattoos, ready to go crazy, and his wife. And we sit down. I say, Lord, what should I say? What should I say? And it was like the Lord dropped in me. After the blood of Jesus, after his forgiveness, there's no greater forgiveness from male to female, female to male, than to forgive your spouse. There's no greater forgiveness after infidelity. Should you get divorced if that happens? You can. But I would say no. I'd say if you can get through it, there's no greater forgiveness and no greater repentance. Amen. There's three couples in that book that have lived through that and all of them are doing better now. Why? Probably because they tasted the flames of hell and realized they better get right with the Lord. Amen? But the reality is, even there, 
God will use that to redeem things and now they're more plugged in. Now they're more engaged. God has redeemed all of that. And why am I saying this? Because there's not loads of verses in the Bible about marriage. So if I can tie it all together, Jesus has been talking about what? This is not the way that it was from the beginning. Where is the beginning? Anyone know? In the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. He created all these things and God saw that it was... But was everything good that God saw? Was everything that happened in the garden good? What's amazing when you read Genesis is everything that God made was good. God blessed it. He said that it was good. But you know there's only one thing that is bad in the garden. This will help your marriages like crazy. There's only one thing that God said was bad before there was sin. Everything was good, but 2.18, it is not good that man is what? Alone. Guys, is man alone? He's hanging out with God. Aren't we all trying to get to God? That's the whole goal of life. We just want to see God. I mean, forget me. Just go hang out with God. Amen. Every question you ask Him, it's only godly advice. Man is not alone. He's with God. He's with all kinds of crazy animals and none of them are trying to kill Him. Amen. But God says in the beginning, though everything was good, there's only one thing that's not. It's that man is alone. How is man alone? Because God intended for a woman to be there all along and all the ladies said, Amen. So what does God do? The Bible says God put man into a trance, put him to sleep. God says it was not good that man was alone. And I'm going to read the verse 2.18. The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, what? Suitable for him. And God began to bring the animals, you know, the goat and the pig and the snake and the whatever. And maybe you sometimes look at your spouse when you're fighting and you go, you know what, it would have been better if I had one of those things. Amen? But thankfully, hopefully not, there's grace there. Remember the covenant now and the hardness of heart. I know how we get. But the reality is God said there was no suitable helper found for Him. Ladies, you have to get this. And you have to share this with the women of the world. Women do not always understand their identity. A man is at a loss without you. I am at a loss. I am alone without who? My wife. A few months back, there was a pastor that was being called from a guy who didn't even go to our church, and he was freaking out, calling all the staff, having a meltdown because of his wife. And the pastor's wife asked me, why is this guy so crazy? I'm like, it's not good that man is alone. Amen? Most of your fights are going to be because he feels alone without his helpmate. There's division. There's dividing over things. There's things that are going on. This is what he says. So what does God do? And listen, guys, I remember hearing Ravi Zacharias preach on this, the special mystique of a woman, and it's in no man. Culture today is telling women to be more like men. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says Satan's the God of this world. He's attacking everything. God needs to be you, purposely made by a purposeful God with a purpose. And all the women did say, Amen. I want my daughter to know you are beautiful. You are his princess. And you're a gift to some man one day. And your marriage might be crazy. But only you can fulfill that role. Verse 21. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And this is trance. And while the man was sleeping, he took one of the ribs. And this literally means cell structure. He closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the... Man, intro you wife, there you are, intended by God, part of him all along. If you go in the supermarkets today and you read Cosmopolitan, what do you see on the top left-hand corner of every issue? 365 ways, SEX. 
Everything you see on chat shows and media and television, it's all about exploiting women. My mum used to say when I was younger, men exploit women. But I would say that today, women are actually oftentimes exploiting themselves. Amen? Can you imagine if you were on Oprah's show and it was about 365 ways to be a godly woman? Can you imagine that magazine was the way to come alongside your man because he isn't going to be good without you? Why don't we preach that more? It's not good. If my wife was going off right now on my phone at home, I'd be sitting here all over the place preaching out of Leviticus and talking about Nephilim and all the rest of it. Amen? It's not good that man is alone. So what did God do? He created this woman. Think about this. will blow your mind. Now, women, I want you to get prideful in the godly way right now. Amen? If all nine billion people on the planet prayed for me, I don't care how much you fasted, how much you know the word, there's no one better to pray in the seat for me than which human? My wife. My wife. And who is the person least likely to as the way our marriage unfolds some days? Our spouse. Amen? Over every human. It's my wife. Think about it. Satan didn't even show up until they were married. It was all good when he's with God, let him go. But as soon as the woman showed up, Satan says, man, this is going to be powerful. I better do something about this. So God takes the woman out from the side. Here she is. And where does she belong? Back beneath him. Some of you are sitting that way right now. Amen. It's a crazy story. Why am I saying this? Because recent statistics have said that the generation below me, I'm 39, for the millennials, they said 80% of millennials are going to go into their marriages and by the time they get a home and their first or second kid, they're going to be ready to walk out of their marriage for no reason. The next generation is like, I'm going to go camping here this week, camping there next week, buy a car here, work there. They're just bouncing around doing whatever they feel without commitment. The generation above me, some of you had the same job for 30, 40 years. Amen? You committed and you worked hard. I have to work hard for my marriage. Next generation is just like, we're going to do whatever we want. Why am I saying that? Because how many women did God bring to Adam? And one woman is all the woman I can handle, despite what the Mormons say. Amen? I mean, and, she, and I'm all the man she needs to handle. Amen? But think about that, man, because I won't go there now for the, the youth who are in here, but how many things are the whale trying to sell us about every other kind of woman? My wife is the standard of beauty for me. So when she's in shape with the bikini bar in the summer, that's what I like. And when it's winter and she's had plenty of food at Thanksgiving, that's what I like. And when I've got the one pack, that's what she likes. If I can't love her like she's 60 when she's 40, or like she's 80 when she's 60, is it really love? I know what we're faced. It takes 0.3 seconds for an image to get trapped in your mind. Everything we see every day, over and over and over, fighting for my image of understanding who my wife is. And he says, this is where the two become one. And why? Because there isn't commitment. The next generation, my son's 18, and actually he wants to get married in the next two years. And the main thing I'm telling him is, bud, put your love on this woman. She's been all over the world with us on mission trips. We've known her since she was way younger. But you better be ready to be committed, because if you are committed, God will bless it. Amen? Your marriage isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And then it's all about you. It is the best marriage. Christians should have the best marriages. But what does Adam do? Adam's sleeping. He wakes up. And let's read a little bit right here about what he says in Genesis 23. And the man said, and guys, this is the first recorded poem. 
This is now bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And all the cheesy pastors said, Whoa, man. For she was taken out of the man. And they do. And we say it. That is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Simply in the beginning, God made everything, but he knew that man was alone. So who did he make? And this is important. He made a helper. He made a friend. He made a lover. He made a partner. He made a wife. So often we miss that my wife is meant to be my best friend because she has best friends. Or I have the bros or who I go hang out with. No. My wife needs to be my best friend. The opposite sex cleft together as one. Listen to this. When you came to faith, God got a hold of you, wretched, filthy, and saved you. It was a miracle. I know there's all kinds of marriage out there in the world that people are talking about, but the kind of marriage that is a marriage ordained by God is where God takes a man and a woman here, and what does He do with them? Supernatural work. It's a supernatural work of God. This is something that only God can do. And this is why He tells in Ephesians 5.31, This is why a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And he tells us in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying this because it refers to who? Christ and the church. Guys, the reason our marriages fail is not because of our view of marriage. It's often because of our view of God. My marriage is not just some cool testimony. Great, we get to talk about it. And you're going to have amazing testimonies to share with people. And you should. Marriage is the greatest representation of the gospel on this planet. Why? Because it's what Christ did for you. He died for his bride, the church. And here's something in closing up this session, and we'll pray and take a slight break, but here's a practical thought. The next session I want to really unpack stuff and show you how we apply this and how we jump through some hoops. But as I've sat with couples, be it online, be it through whatever Skype, So many times one spouse is just driving this home. We've got to get on the same page. And I ask him this question. If you had seven days to live right now, not that Jesus is coming back in seven days, amen, what has God called you to do? Despite your work, your life, your fitness, whatever you're doing, if you had seven days to live, who is the most important person in your life? That's your spouse. That's your first sheep. Remember hearing Paul Washer preach years ago, if you were in a river and the boat was sinking and it's your three children and your spouse, you should save your spouse. None of us would because we can all probably swim. Amen? I'm saying that like the reality, but what he's saying is, she's first. My 18-year-old is about to leave the nest. It's a work of faith to send my daughter onto marriage, to send Jude onto marriage. My wife is my first sheep. And these couples that will wrestle, here's the verse I give to men. It says, 1 Peter 3, 7, guys, really get this. This is hard. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. We're men. We want to go to Home Depot and buy it, get the screws, get the drill. We want it to be simple. That's not how women work. Amen? She isn't going to be in church every time you're in church. She's going to follow everything you say. Part of the case in Genesis is she wants to have rule over you. And women, I'm not giving you an out in every conversation. Well, pastor said, let me do what I want. But what I'm saying is, I have to look at my wife in her 40s, where she's going to be in the next 20, 30 years, and say, God, do I live with her in an understanding way? Am I aware of where she is? Am I aware of what's going on in her body? Am I aware of where she is in her life? He says... Live with your wives in an understanding way. When she's having a moment, when she's going through it. Because how many of you guys know that Jesus' bride is really, really crazy? Amen? 
That's you and me. And he's faithful every day. And to the women, it's simpler. Proverbs 31.12. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. I remember a woman years ago when I was first being in a share, and she wanted her husband to come to faith so bad. Her whole focus was that he was out partying and whatever, and she just wanted him to do what he was doing. And he came to faith, amen. And he got so serious about his faith, and then she began to get mad. And she began to rebel. Why? Because she wanted to tell him what to do. She wanted to control him. And now that he came over to the faith, he's beginning to leave the house. She was struggling with it. Brian, can you help out? What do you want me to do? He's your first sheep. This is where this verse came from, telling her, you know what God has told you to do for the next seven days? Bring him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Why? That's her call. When I drop dead, God's going to bless me. Hey, I'm in Christ. Thank you, Lord. But Brian, how did you love Tracy? Tracy, how did you love Brian? This is our call. There's no guilt. There's no shame. And guys, listen, I'm sure you guys have got all kinds of baggage, and he said this, and he thinks that. And ladies, men have a different anatomy. Amen? If you didn't know that. So when he says stuff, he's going to sound louder anyway. You guys are going to fight over certain things, hopefully not as much. But I'm saying this to say, you have to take all of this. It's not good that man is alone. He's placed you together for a reason. The biggest act of faith in my life is trusting what he's going to do in my marriage and that beauty will come out of it because I know what it's like to be me. Amen? I know what's in here. I read the Apostle Paul and the longer I'm in the faith, I get how a man that walked with Christ like that was set apart on the road to Damascus, talked the way he did because I know what's in all of us. You wouldn't believe what's going through even your mind sometimes when you're preaching. The devil's very real. Amen? You have to give it all over to the Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to close out this session and take a break if you want to get some water or run the restroom or whatever. But here's how I want to do this. I want us to forget about what we're going through, what we're wrestling with. And I want the men for three minutes and then the ladies for three minutes to pray for each other. Men for your wife, wives for your men. But pray only what you think God says about them in the Bible. Not what you're trying to tell them. Not what you feel they need to do. But for you just to pray of God's grace and His mercy and His love and His blessing and whatever it may be. And we'll have three minutes for the men, three minutes for the women. Then we'll take a bit of a break and then we're going to unpack the practical sides. Amen? And if you're single here, pray for that spouse to be. If you're calling and engaged, if you're going through craziness. So I'm going to pray us into a time just for a moment and then we'll take that time to pray. Let's bow our heads for a moment. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And God, I just, we would understand that you went to that cross for us. We're always looking for this big delivery or this big breakthrough or this big, what may it be, Lord? Open our eyes, but God, it's the cross. We don't get closure anywhere else. The closure is you, and you are better than any worldly closure, and that they would see your people. Remind me, God, that even now, this is a blessing. You gave me a bride. We have our ups and downs. We go through it. I mentioned to someone earlier, the biggest compliment I ever got on this book was my wife told me, I really need to read that chapter again. Lord, you are good and you are so faithful. And I pray right now, as we just get into a time of worship and prayer, that you will begin to speak through the men, affirming these wives. Maybe words they have never said, that they have a hard time saying. This will be a place of connection a place of covenantly speaking, a place of loosening of the hardness of heart, a place of release, God, and then for the bride to come alongside and say, 
I'm a gift to this man. I'm going to do him good all the days of his life. I get to speak life like no other woman, like no other man. I am the mystique of God wrapped in this flesh. Thank you, God, for this moment, for this time. Church, just be intentional where you are. Pray for one another.